Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. So many of my notes begin or end with how torturous school is and how annoying the teachers are. I'm sure this attitude feels familiar to a lot of you. But I went to talk to my friend Brenda Ratzlaff, who has a little bit of a different perspective. This was my first time at her place, and it's this big, well-decorated home with a gorgeous backyard perfect for entertaining. She served my mom and I coffee, and we lounged in this lovely, light-soaked room off the kitchen. This setting is in stark contrast to where Brenda grew up. To get to this point in her life, she had to demand education, both academic and spiritual. I'll let her introduce herself and then share some of the obstacles that she faced in going to school. I'm an avid gardener. My mother loved gardening. We never had soil at our own house where she could garden, but she always had a garden somewhere. Sometimes we would have to walk a half a mile up into the hills where she would have a patch of ground and we would have to get up early in the morning with our hose and go up just as the sun was coming up to, to hoe beans or hoe corn. And I hated that. I never thought I would love a vegetable or uh-huh. a flower. But as I got into my 30s, I realized that I'm a gardener at heart. And at 51 years of age, I became a master gardener. I got my certification. Oh. And gardening has just become my passion. Are you going to show me your garden? Yes, I would love to. Okay, good. originally from Kentucky. I grew up in a region of Kentucky, um, Appalachia, in southeastern Kentucky, a coal mining area. I was born in 1948. I was number seven of eight children. My father was a coal miner, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, eight kids is a lot to take care of. Eight children. uh, Three of my little brothers and sisters died before I was born. What was your home life like? My father would get up very early, uh, like 3.30 or 4 o'clock, get a ride with someone and drive for many, many miles and go to work in the coal mines. And he would come home around 3.30. And my mother would have a big galvanized tub of warm water ready for his bath because he came in looking like a coal miner, all black. In our kitchen, uh, we didn't have any running water. So my mom caught rainwater, and that was what he used for his baths. That's what we used to drink. How did she catch rainwater? Uh, Maybe that's obvious, but... (laughs) We had two large uh, metal barrels, each at the end of the house. And uh, all summer long, fortunately, we got rain during the summer. So she would catch the rainwater. During periods of drought... We would have to go to a neighbor's well, someone who had a well, and we would carry water back to our house. Incredible. I mean, just that much. (laughs) I can't even imagine. And all the water, of course, had to be heated. As a child growing up, uh, we didn't really, as children, have very many baths, as you can imagine, because water was such an issue. It wasn't really that important to us, actually. Right. When I wasn't in school, we would usually go up to a neighbor's house in, uh, I'm sure you've heard of the holler. 
mm-hmm. the hollow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would go up into the holler where our, our best friends lived, and they had a, a really steep hill right behind their house. And all summer long, we would play on the hill and find pieces of cardboard and slide down as if it were a sled on snow. We had lots of fun. Or we would go down to the creek and play in the creek. There were no no video um, machines in those days. There was really very little daytime television. Did you have a TV? We did. I believe we got a TV about 1953, our first TV. So um, pretty much as in any society, even if you have very little of anything, you have a television. Yeah. <laughs> Just like now, everybody has cell phones. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> I had three really close friends. They were in the same family, the family that lived in, in the hollow. Mary, Dora, and her their younger sister, Kay. Mary and Dora were twins. I grew up with my younger brother, who is almost two years younger than myself. Uh, my next older brother was five years older, and I really don't remember a lot of him because he was older. My younger brother and I spent a lot of time together, and we did get along. We had a lot of rock fights. <laughs> we, we had uh, water fights, but we, we got along great. Uh, what kind of work around the house did you have to do? I really didn't have to do anything. Nice. Um, when I was really in a, a good mood, I would decide to help my mom out in the house. But a lot of that was not required of us. So your mom did all the cooking and cleaning by herself? She did. She did. <laughs> what was your relationship like with your mom? A good relationship. It's really not something I, I delved into or mm-hmm. thought a lot about. But um, she was a good mother. She found it very difficult to spank, even when we needed spanking. I think it was very, very difficult for her that she had lost three children. Uh, babies uh, between 6 and 18 months old, all three of them. Yeah. So I'm sure she suffered from that all of her life. After I was married, I tried talking to her about it one day. And after, even after that many years, it was still... She's just, she could not talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I really, I, none of the kids know anything about really what killed them, how she reacted. And that was all before you were born. It was all before I was born. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a mystery. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I think a lot of people, especially that far back in our history, chose to bury things rather than talk about them. Sure. I think that it was very similar to that in relationships. I think it was difficult for my parents to say, I love you. And it was certainly not because they didn't, but it was just because it's something that it's hard to mouth. You've never done that. What, if anything, have you done differently in the raising of your kids? Well, I think that um, my husband and I have talked to our children. We tell them we love them. We tell them we're proud of them. Uh, I think they, we've told them that so much they take it for granted and they think that we're biased or prejudiced toward them. (laughs) uh, But we have, we have done that. Uh, My parents were strict. It's, it's difficult to explain because this is another culture. I grew up in grade school. I went to a one room schoolhouse. So all eight, eight grades were in one room, maybe 65 kids all together. And one teacher? And one teacher, no helper. 
We didn't have any playground equipment. We didn't have running water. We had you know outdoor toilets. So it was a very it was it was a very tight community where all the parents knew each other and we pretty much knew they pretty much knew if our if their kids were getting into trouble and they were strict i i can remember with my older brothers going out they had they seemed to have more freedom than they would allow my older sister who was 11 years older than myself and i never felt that was quite fair that they were more strict with her than Mm -hmm. they were with the boys. But here again, it's a culture where you keep the girls at home and the boys you're a little bit freer with. I, I think when I say that they were strict, I'm thinking more of when I was in high school, I really wanted to be able to go out like my friends were on dates. And the, um, the rule was you can't go on a date until you're 16. I, I felt like that was pretty strict because none of my other friends had to adhere to that. When I turned 16, I still couldn't go out. Oh, they pushed they pushed the marker, huh? <laughs> yes, they did. That probably caused me to, to do things that I, I wouldn't have done ordinarily because um, I kind of snuck out with my friends, did things that they knew nothing about. So I had a lot of guilt your parents should expect it. <laughs> well, they should have. <laughs> and it's no fair if they told you you could date. That's right. You can't take it back. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I couldn't date till I was 16. Really? So we have that in common. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I don't think any boys wanted to date me before I was 16. So <laughs> it worked out okay. <laughs> and you have all boys, right? Yes. So you didn't have to deal with any of that with a, a girl. No. And... Uh, our boys just didn't didn't date anyway. There was never a girl that they really wanted to date, so we didn't. That was not something we really had to concern ourselves with. After sixth grade, normally in our one room schoolhouse there were eight grades. That year they decided that they were going to go to six grades, and seventh and eighth grade would go to town to town school is what we called it. So in seventh grade, I rode the bus with my friends and we went to to town school, seventh and eighth grade. And of course there were a lot more kids there. And it was, it was a new experience for me. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. At the end of eighth grade, in my area of the hills, most of my friends would quit school at that time. My brothers and sister before me, had quit school. My mother had only a fourth grade education. When she finished fourth grade, it was expected of her, being from a family of 10, stay home and take care of the kids, mm-hmm. the younger children, mm-hmm. while the older ones went out to the fields to work. And my father had gone through eighth grade, and then he, he finished. So not only was it kind of expected of me, it was a, tr- a tradition, but my parents didn't really have a high view or a high value for education. So it was just the expected thing, both from them and from myself. Um, when I finished eighth grade, I said goodbye to my friends, you know, at town school, mm-hmm. and that I was finished. Almost immediately when I finished eighth grade, uh, my grandmother died, and it just devastated my father. He didn't have a father himself. He had never met his father, so it devastated him when our grandmother, when my grandmother died. And she was always the one that was there after my father had a drinking binge and couldn't work to be there with 
money to help us back on our feet again. Mm -hmm. Food. She provided the house we lived in. She owned the house that we lived in. She always provided ground for my mother to have a garden, whether it was on her property or something she would rent for her. She bought a cow, and that was the cow my mother milked twice a day for us to have milk and chickens. So at this point, our life was kind of in turmoil. There were times when my father would would be drinking, and he would be so verbally abusive that my mom would have to leave. She would normally take us to her sister's house. So during this time, uh, with my grandmother dying, father drinking, she took my younger brother and myself up to her sister's house. There were no phones uh, there where we were, but word got to us that our house had burned the night before, had burned to the ground. And we knew that my father had set fire to the house. He had done this before, at least two other times. That was never a question as to what happened. Our family was in a dilemma. So we didn't have a home. We didn't have my grandmother. So my father decided that he would move us to Indiana. Now, in Indiana is where a lot of the hillbillies, if I may say, would move because that's where a lot of the factory jobs were. And educated people, there wasn't a lot of jobs in Kentucky if you didn't have an education. So he decided to move us to Indiana. I came to realize that kids who lived there didn't quit school. In fact, I think Indiana had a law that said that you had to continue school until you were 16. I decided I was going to continue, that I was going to go to high school. And I didn't know how I was going to tell my parents. Naturally, I started with my mom, and she discouraged it. Basically, they uh, told me, if you want to go to school, you're going to have to get a job and pay for all the costs. I literally didn't have any clothes because almost everything I had had been burned in the fire. We really didn't have anything to start with. I was only 13, so I didn't know how I was going to be able to get a job when I wasn't 16. So I decided that I would lie. (laughs) (laughs) So my sister-in-law helped me put on makeup, took me to an interview, and I got a job at the Dairy Queen. So I worked there all summer and saved enough money to buy the things I needed to start school. And it was a very difficult thing. It was two cultures clashing. The hillbillies in Indiana had a very bad reputation. They were the poor, you know, among them. And so it was very hard on me to start school there. And immediately people knew because of my deep Southern drawl that Mm -hmm. I was from Kentucky. When I discovered that that was going to be a huge issue, I began practicing talking like a Hoosier. (laughs) What was the hardest part? Like, was it feeling like you were an outsider? Like it was hard to make friends or was it more like the academics were difficult? Well, the sophistication in a lifestyle I'm not sure if that's what you would want to call it, but that's what I think of. I I didn't know how to act in society. My culture was so completely different than this. The dress, the, the talk, food. My food was so completely different than the way people there ate. Everything about it was, was different. We moved it about probably four different times Mm -hmm. the first year. By my sophomore year, we were able to buy a house. 
and it was a tiny, tiny little house. Still, there were no doors, no inside doors. I had never lived in a house that had doors mm -hmm. on the inside. There were curtains across the bedroom doors, a curtain across the bathroom. There was running water and a toilet. There was no real privacy. How did you sleep? I slept in a bed with my mom and my father in the other bedroom. He had a bed and then my younger brother had a bed. So it was just the four of us. Did your parents turn the corner? Were they supportive after you raised your money to go or... They weren't hostile to it. Yeah. Shortly into my freshman year, my father had a binge. My mom took me aside and said, this time, mom is going to leave dad this time, but you need to quit school and get a job. And even though I really thought it was best for her to leave, I knew that that wouldn't happen. It had never happened. I had heard that many, many times before. Mm -hmm. I love my father. So... In one sense, um, I didn't want her to leave, but on the in the other, I did. So I just flatly refused. I will not quit school. Good. And what happened? Um, she didn't leave. No, she didn't. No, yeah. she didn't leave. Um, he would be ver verbally abusive during you know the time he was drinking, mm -hmm. but as soon as he was sober, maybe two three weeks later, he would be very remorseful. Mm -hmm. And he was the father that I knew. Mm -hmm. He was a kind man. Was he still working in the coal mines when he moved? No. By this time, he was 53 years old. He had emphysema and black lung, which mm -hmm. you probably know is a disease that coal miners get. So it was very difficult for him to breathe. Going to Indiana, he was able to find a job driving a truck. So he was able to do that and support the family. in ninth grade I was I was 14 by this time and I started feeling a real void in my life and I started asking what is life all about somehow I felt like God was in there somewhere that he was the answer to the question but I had no idea how it all fit together I wasn't a church person I didn't know anything about the Bible or any of that but I felt like there was more to life than what I was already at my young age seeing. And so there was this void. There was an emptiness. As I became a sophomore, I was asking the question with more depth. I was wondering what life is all about. I had good friends by this time, very nice friends. And even then, it wasn't satisfying. So I started thinking that it's all, it's all about God somehow here. So I had a, a friend that I sat next to in study hall, and I knew she was real religious because she wore skirts below you know, her <laughs> knee. Mm -hmm. uh, she didn't wear any makeup. Um, she always talked about going to church, and we talked a lot in study hall. So one day she asked me if I would go to church with her. And so even though it was scary, uh, the prospect of going to church, I thought I would try it. And it was was not really a really great experience. When I told my father I was going to go, he says, all they want is your money. And I really didn't think that was true. I thought he was just being cynical. But after that day, I, I thought, well, maybe, maybe that is true. They kept passing the offering plate over and over again, <laughs> <laughs> asking for more. And so I didn't tell my father because I didn't want him to know that he may be right. Uh -huh. <laughs> so that, that experience wasn't, 
wasn't really a good one for me. Then after my junior year, during the summer, a friend asked me over to her house. And she was also a girl that I knew went to church, a very, very nice person. So when we were in her room talking, I just blurted out, how do I become a Christian? And kind of took her back a little bit. Um, she'd probably never been asked that before. <laughs> um, but she says, well, you, you read the Bible, you pray, and you go to church. And I thought, well, okay, I, I've tried reading the Bible and I can't understand it at all. I did go to church once. <laughs> and as far as praying, I don't know how to pray. And so that was the end of the conversation. So I was, I was 16 at that point. So I went through my junior year and I was getting more and more miserable. The fun times weren't as fun because I felt like there was more. So my prayer, I didn't know how to pray, but a lot of nights when I would go to bed, the last thing I would say was, God, show me how to find you. Show me how to find you. At the beginning of my senior year, I felt like I was at some sort of juncture. I felt like either I have to find out if there's something to this or I'm gonna just go my own way and forget about God because there didn't seem to be any answers at this point. So around November 1st, I came to a spot where I just said, okay, God, if you're not going to show me, then you don't have to show me. I said, I'm going to go find a friend at school, someone that I knew we had met, we had talked a couple of times, but I didn't really know her. I didn't hang out with her. It was another girl from Kentucky. I decided I was going to ask her if I could go to church with her. I was going to try one more time. And so I was at my locker one morning. She approached me and she said, would you go to church with me Sunday? And I was completely shocked. I couldn't believe it. I thought, she's asking me to go to church with her? And I was going to ask her if I could go to church with her? What's going on here? <laughs> and so I didn't, of course, didn't tell her any of that. And, and I just said, oh, okay, okay, I will. She handed me a little piece of paper and it just said, it was like a little ticket. And it said, fill a pew day. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> and so on that day, I met her at church. And it was a small, tiny little church, maybe 60 people. And I went in, and I was just shaking. I was so nervous. So you went all by yourself? I went all by myself, but I met her. And I was I was just very afraid. I wasn't sure if, if they would call me to pray or if they would uh -huh. ask me to sing or what, what I was, <laughs> was going to do, but it was just a scary place to be. But I went. So at the end in this little church, it was kind of the old-fashioned way of the uh, pastor would say, um, come forward if you, you know, you want to give your life to God. And I thought, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. But my heart was pounding. And that morning when he was talking, everything he said, I thought he knew me. I thought he was looking right into my life. Uh -huh. And everything he said was true. And I was having to hold back the tears the whole time because everything he was saying was true. So that evening, my, the same friend asked me to come back that evening to church. And so I said, okay. Well, the next morning she asked me to come back and I went. <laughs> Same thing. When he started talking about the Bible and he explained it so well, I just thought he was, he knew about me. He knew about my life and he was describing it. And so Sunday evening, I went back again. And this time when he was closing 
the service. We sang a hymn and he asked people to come forward. It didn't really dawn on me. There was only probably 50 people there that night and he knew that I was the only heathen there. (laughs) So naturally this was for me, but I couldn't sit there any longer. And in tears, I was sobbing. I went forward. Then afterwards, when he was talking with me, he asked me if I would pray. And I told him I couldn't pray. And he actually insisted on it. Not something we would encourage people to do, (laughs) right? (laughs) But his method actually turned out to be good. He, He told me that he really wanted me to pray. So crying, I I just blurted it all out and asked God to forgive me. Um, but when, when I was finished, I had never experienced peace like I had then. And as a child, I could remember not having peace. I never had peace. I was never at peace as a child. And for the first time, a peace just kind of encompassed me. It was supernatural. So did it stick with you? It did. Then I graduated. My parents did not go to my graduation. None of my family went to my graduation. Why not? Well, here again, it's another culture. Have I spent any time feeling resentful about that? No, because I understand the culture. So that was okay. So was it just they didn't think it was important or they were busy or? Um, Or they disapproved? I'm not sure. It may have been some or all of that. They had never been to a high school graduation. They probably didn't understand the importance. Mm -hmm. I don't think I understood the importance of parents until I got there and saw that everyone's parent (laughs) was there. Right. But that was okay. Then when fall came, I had no plans of going on to college. I had no plans of where I was going to work, no plans at all for the future. So in September, I found a job at a factory. Some friends from our church had started talking to me about going to a youth conference at the college that they had gone to. It was a Bible college. I tried to put them off. I wasn't interested in going to a youth conference, and they kept asking me about it. It's always been hard for me to say no to someone. I'm more (laughs) passive aggressive where, no, I'm going to be busy that weekend. Or, uh, But it was really hard to say no. So as time drew nearer, they put the pressure on more and more. And I came to the point where I finally said, yes, I'll go. But I worked uh, the 3 to 11 shift. And while I was there that evening, I fell down a step and sprained my ankle. They had to take me to the hospital and the x-ray said, yes, it's a sprained ankle. They gave me crutches. So I was relieved thinking, oh, good, I don't have to go now. <laughs> so I couldn't get a hold of um, my friends who had set this all up. So I called the pastor's wife to get her to give a message, get a message to them. And she was just the wrong person to talk to because she said, you have no idea what all they have done at the time and expense to get you there. Oh, (laughs) and she was absolutely right. And I was just taking the easy way out. I wasn't thinking at all. I was only thinking of myself. I wasn't thinking of all at all of them. So at midnight, I met the people who I was to ride with and drove with them from Indiana to Omaha, Nebraska, to the youth conference. This topic for the weekend was knowing the will of God. 
and it was very interesting. I had a great time. I can't believe you can remember that. Yeah. What oh. the topic was. <laughs> oh, really? Well, everything was new to me then. Yeah. And the will of God, it's something that I think everybody thinks about, but nobody knows anything about it. And that, that was me, mm-hmm. I thought. And it didn't occur to me, I don't think until later, that the whole purpose of a youth conference is to get people interested in going to school there. Oh. And so that was their whole purpose. They wanted, they actually wanted me to go to school there. Okay. And I didn't even understand that. When it was all finished, I thought, okay, that's behind me now. Well, in January, right after New Year's, they started talking to me about registering for a second semester. And I was not at all interested, not at all. I talked to my mom and dad one day about, oh, they want me to go to the college there. And my father basically said, over my dead body, <laughs> you'll not you'll not do that. And that didn't surprise me. And so in a way, I could just tell my friends, well, my father wouldn't let me. So was it because it was a, a Bible college or just college? I think the whole idea of college yeah. um, is very condescending in a culture when they think maybe you are better or feeling better than they are. And education is definitely one of those areas where you could feel like someone is condescending. And my life had changed so much just with education that they probably felt like they didn't even know their own daughter anymore. And this was a, a further fear to drive us, drive a wedge in our relationship. But as, as the weeks passed, I was saying no to God. I, I didn't want to even consider it. And I was trying to say no to them. But at a certain point, I got so miserable that I finally said, okay, God, Whatever you, whatever you want me to do. And I got out my little booklet. I still have it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> my little booklet on the will of God. And I went back over the, over the things I had written down and, and Bible verses. And I, I just started weeping when I read them because there was no question. I knew what God wanted me to do. So I just said, okay, I'm surren- surrendering. If this is what you want, I'll do it. And immediately I realized that is what. God wanted me to do, but how to go over my father's dead body? (laughs) Well, as it turned out, my friends who had graduated from the school called, talked to people at the college and said, there's a student we'd like to bring. We realize she's not registered. Between them and the school, they worked out my registration so that they just needed my permission to get me there. So during that time, my father turned to the bottle again. He ended up in the hospital. On the night that I was supposed to leave to go, he had no idea I was going. Um, He was in the hospital, and my mother and I were hugging each other and crying together. I didn't want to go, and she didn't want me to go. But I told her I just have to obey God. So I, I... Uh, My friends took me to the school, dropped me off, took me to my dorm room. My roommate was not there yet, so I was in the dorm room all by myself. So the first thing I had to do was go down and register. I had $217 that I was able to come up with. So they had a wonderful plan there where you put down a down payment and you could pay monthly 
all the classes were morning classes, so the students would be able to work in the afternoon mm -hmm. and evening. And so that was going to be the plan. So I had $217. So I went down, talked to my counselor. We came up the classes. My friends, even though they had to leave, they said, okay, the minimum is 12 units if you're a full-time student. So take 12 units and you'll have just enough money. So I go in to talk to the counselor. He says, no, I think you need 15 units. And here again, I... I wasn't confident enough to tell him no. I didn't want to tell him I'm poor. I don't have enough uh -huh. money for 15 units. So I walk out of his office with 15 units. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I don't have any money. I don't have enough money for 15 units. So the next stop I had to make was the business office. And the lady took care of me. She's working and figuring up how much I, I need to pay for my down payment. And it came out to $218. <laughs> and I, I said, oh, um, the rest of my money is up in my room. <laughs> um, can I just give it to you later? And she says, no, we have to have it before you start class. So how short were you? A, A dollar. dollar. <laughs> I was $1 short. So I go up to my room. I sit down at my desk. But she had given me the receipt. She gave me a receipt for $218, but I was supposed to come right back down and give her the other dollar. So I sat down at the desk, and I just started crying. And they were angry tears. Yeah. I was mad at God. I felt betrayed. He brought me all that way. But through my tears, I, I opened my eyes, and I had the receipt. And there was a Bible verse on the receipt. And it said, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 And then I started crying tears of happiness because I knew that God was just asking me to trust him. I still wasn't sure how I was going to put the $1. <laughs> but as I sat there, all of a sudden, I thought, oh, look in your turtle bank. I opened it up, and it was clinking. <laughs> and there were two Kennedy half dollars. So I took them down to Miss Hofstetter and gave them to her. Of course, she had no idea. So that night, which was their tradition, they had chapel, the student body did. And one of the things that they always started with was if someone wanted to stand up and talk about something God had done for them. I should add, that day I had slipped down the stairs and resprained the ankle. <laughs> yes, I am very hungry. <laughs> so I had to go to the school nurse and she gave, she wrapped it and gave me crutches. So as fearful as I was about standing up. I had to, I had to just stand up and, and tell the student body, this new student body, how God provided. The thing that I had no, no idea about or hadn't thought of is that afterwards, one by one, students came up to me and said, I have a book for your Old Testament class that you can borrow rent-free. Mm -hmm. I have a book for a New Testament mm -hmm. class that you can borrow for free. 
And by the end of the evening, people had given me all the books I needed. And it was not something I had even thought of. If I had thought of that, I couldn't have, if there had been an ulterior motive, I never would have been able to have stood up. But Philippians 4.19 was my verse. And every single time when there was a need, God provided it. And so he provided a job the very next day. I hobbled over where the employment lady worked. And I told her that I needed a job right away. And so she said, well, I have have a job just right up the street. So I'm on my crutches and I go up to the (laughs) front door. I ring her doorbell and she comes to the door and I said, hi, I'm here to clean your house. difficult times. Do you go back to that in your mind to remind you to have more peace about your problems? I think I've come to think that old victories is kind of like old faith. And it it does something to remind you, yes. But it's not enough to get you through the heartbreak of today. Faith has to be continually tried in order to be real and to be fresh. Are you happy that you went to college? Oh, it changed my life. It changed my life. So many times I think of my life in Kentucky and when I'm visiting my grade school friends, right? this could have been my life and I love them all, but it's such a different life yeah. than I lead now. It's such a, it is a very simple life and in so many ways it seems very uncomplicated, but It's been a very different life. Brenda said that college was not boring. In fact, it was really challenging. Remember that a lot of kids that go to Bible college already have a firm foundation in what the Bible is about. Brenda didn't. She was actually afraid that she was going to fail out. But she made it through, and she actually met her husband, Stan, in college, and they've now been married for 50 years. Brenda faced so many obstacles on her way to a high school and college education. It really puts all our complaints about school and my spoiled brat attitude about private school in perspective. But after she shared her struggles, I still had one more question floating around. How does she feel about her dad now? And one of the things that I thought about in this whole struggle with finding God or the search for God was that I felt God was going to ask me to do is to love my father. And I didn't feel like I was going to be able to love my father in the way that I thought God would want me to love my father. Um, It was just a matter of, I believe, just being willing to love him. And I'm not sure if I was expecting some sort of miracle type love. But as I grew older, I began to appreciate my father in a way that a more mature person does by understanding the kind of difficulties and circumstances he had had in his life. Mm -hmm. And he was fighting, he was fighting those circumstances his entire life.
There's three lovely tracks on this episode. Paint the Sky by Jerris, Reverie by Ghost, and Recreation by Airtone. Thank you.